0: Welcome to the Nashville Vineyard Podcast. For more information, please check us out at www.nashvillevineyard.org. Thank you so much for listening, and we hope you have a great day. So we're going to get started. We, uh, we have a, a quick thing that we're starting this, uh, this month called our missions Minute. And we wanted to give you an update from uh, our missions board. In case you don't know, we have like a missions tax, task force around here that are doing all kinds of different uh, missions activities, mission trips. They got back from India a couple weeks ago and they are uh, they're going to be going to uh, Laos. Uh, in a couple of months, so we've got a lot going on with missions, and uh, we just wanted to keep you updated. So, if you'd please welcome uh, Ms. Cheryl Tucker, who chairs the Mission Task Force, also a missionary.
1: Thank you. Good morning. Um, so today, as he said, today is the very first missions minute, and even though it says minute, it might be a couple minutes. So give us some grace there. That's the name of it. And today we start off with a Hindu prayer focus. And um, this runs for 15 days. It goes from October 28th to November 11th. And it coincides with a bunch of Hindu festivals in India and other places where they, they practice Hinduism. And uh, one of those festivals is called Diwali. And that is the festival of lights. And in India, they put little tea lights or little lamps all around their doorways. And they have friends come and fix a lot of food, kind of like our Christmas time. And um, they actually celebrate it as a time of um, to honor Ramchandra, which is the seventh avatar of one of their gods, Vishnu. And during this time, they believe that Ramchandra came back uh, after being in 14 years in exile, and he was fighting demons and a demon king called Rava. And so they celebrate this as a time of light winning out over darkness. So this is a great time for Christians and missionaries and and disciples of Jesus to reach out to the Hindus. So this is a a really kind of key prayer-focused time that their hearts would be open to Jesus, the true light. And, um, you know, God uses these redemptive analogies in all these different cultures. You'll find something that will point back to Jesus and so this is one of those key things, the redemptive analogy, if workers of the gospel can pick up on it, they can be able to present the gospel and a light will go off in the head of, of the one here in it. So we want to pray during this time. Hinduism um, in 2015 was 1.1 billion people in the world, and it's projected to have 1.4 billion by 2050. That's a lot of people that is just fallen you know, lies and deception. Uh, It's 15% of the world's population adhere to Hinduism. Uh, India makes up 94% of that uh, population, and in India, about 80% of the people do practice Hinduism. Uh, In North America, you'd be surprised to know that there's 2.5 million Hindus. And in the US, there's 1.8, and it's projected to be 4.8 million by 2050. So God has really brought them to us, and, um, you know, we have opportunities all around us. Not everyone can go all the time, and not everyone's called to go overseas, but they're here. You know, we have uh, a lot of the convenience store owners are Gujaratis. They're from the state of Gujarat. Um, Some of them practice Jainism, but a lot of them practice Hinduism. You'll see the altar set up with um, incense and marigolds. And um, you also see some of the smaller hotels, uh, the Indian restaurants. So there's great opportunity to witness. So just be thinking about that if you go into these places during this time frame and be praying for these people. Maybe God will open up a door for you to be able to share. Uh, so we want to pray uh, that, you know, they'll really see, have a revelation of Jesus, the true light who conquered darkness once and for all. And we want to pray that uh, they'll understand who He is, and we want to because they'll take a lot of different gods. You know, they'll take Jesus too, but they don't have a great conception, uh, understanding of of who He really is—that He's the one and only. Um, we also want to pray that Christians will use the name of Jesus. When we were in India, we were actually asked at, at one ministry to not use the name of Jesus, but to use God instead, and. That was really hard to do, and I think we broke that rule, but, um, you know, we just want to pray for that boldness, because sometimes it's out of fear that their ministries will be shut down, so we want to pray that they'll have boldness to, to share all who he is. Um, I do have just a handful of these. If you will say, I will commit to pray for 15 days, it highlights a city, a, a people group, um, within the Hindu religious structure. One thing I wanted to say about Hinduism also is that it's really hard to understand and there's no like one creed or one God. There's said to be 34 million gods. So you can't just really, you know, try to um, understand Hinduism. Really to be born a Hindu is how you become a Hindu. Some people, try to convert to Hinduism, but a true Hindu is to be born a Hindu, and they don't worship one particular god, although there's some predominant gods amongst uh, the Hindus. So keep that in mind if you are reaching out to them. It's just uh, important to highlight Jesus, you know, as the one and only, and the one that can point uh, point the way. So I have these, so if you're interested after, I, I have 10 copies, and I can easily make some more, but I would be happy to give you a copy. And uh, also, the last thing I want to say before we pray is that uh, Grant mentioned the missions task force. We're just getting started. Um, We did get to go to India, some of us, but there's so much more that God has for us here. And next Sunday after church, we're going to have our first interest meeting uh, at Sitar Restaurant in West End. So if you're interested, check with me, Morgan, um, and it'll be just right after church, and we'll just share about what what we feel like god wants to do here and if you would like to be a part um so let's just go ahead and pray for for these people lord we just thank you that um you brought the field to us and um lord we haven't had always opportunities to go but but you've been faithful and you have such a heart for these people that you've you've brought them into our country and uh they're your children, they just don't know it yet, and so we ask that their eyes would be opened, they would have an enlightenment, especially during Diwali, that um, you would give many opportunities for your workers to present the gospel, and I just pray for revelation that that the, uh, Jesus would stand uh, tall and uh, above all the other Hindu gods, and Lord, we just ask that you would give dreams and visions and that... Um, Many would come to know you during this time. Just give us a heart, give us opportunities, open our eyes to see those that are around us here. In Jesus' name, Amen.
0: Thank you. And Cheryl has spent uh, several years in India and um, as a missionary, and uh, really understands the culture and loves loves those people so much. And it's just it's awesome. And uh, we feel like the Lord is birthing something here uh, to reach out uh, there. That it's just. I think five or 10 years from now, it's just going to be awesome to see how that, how that has played out. It's going to be, it's going to be so fun. Um, yeah, wow. You know, Jesus has only prayed one prayer request. Like he prayed a couple things and, 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 and he's, you know, he's told us to pray certain ways. But in scripture, he basically had one prayer request where he said, hey, I need you to pray for something. Um, and it was that the Lord would actually send more workers because it's, it's, a, it's a ginormous harvest. And, uh, and Jesus' prayer request was that he needs more of us, more of us going um, to do that. And so that's, that's actually what we're going to be talking about uh, a little bit today. We've, we've been in this series uh, about these different fears in our lives, uh, this these series is called Facing Scarecrows. And the idea is that these fears aren't real. It's just it's just smoke screens that the enemy has put up in front of us to keep us from the fields of promise that the Lord has. And so we're learning to identify these fears and, and so we can call them what they are. And, and they're just, they're lies. And we're overturning those lies in our heads and we're we're actually beginning to, be transformed by the renewing of our minds, to be able to see what the enemy is doing, see the lies that we've believed because of our culture, because of our our lives that we've lived, and overturn those and begin to believe the word of the Lord um, more. So we talked, the first week we we talked about this fear of losing control, of being out of control, and and how that's really a lie because we're completely out of control of so many things. And then we talked about uh, a fear of man and how we have this this crippling fear of what will people say and what will people think and, and, and what, what, what can we do to impress people and, and, to, and to be seen as successful and to be seen as smart and intelligent and, and worthwhile in people's eyes and all the while it's God that we need to care about more. God's opinion of us is, is who we should be seeking. and then, then last week we talked about this fear of shame that envelops us, that, that crowds us, that yells at us that we're not good enough, that that who we are is just completely inadequate to do anything of worth for the Lord, and that the things that we've done are keeping us from what he's calling us to do. And, and we, we found that through, through looking at the life of Moses, that that's just a lie as well, that, you know, here we have Moses, the murderer, called to go liberate and redeem and free people. And we have Moses, the one that, can't even speak well, that has a debilitating speech impediment, is called to pronounce freedom in the land. Because who we are and who he's created us to be was on purpose, it's not an accident. The Lord says, who's made that mouth? And he's saying that to us today, who made us? And so we're overturning these lies, and and today we're talking about this lie uh, of a fear of failure. The idea of, of being afraid of crippled by by failure, and you know, in 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 doing this pastor thing and and in in starting this church and and who was brought to the church first. It was a lot of uh, people in their twenties and and early thirties, and 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 I noticed a common theme that that would run throughout the conversations, and it was just this underlying. Terrifying, paralyzing fear of failure, of failing at anything, and and a lot of these people they came of age in you know the Great Recession and they saw uh, the crippling uh, actions that took place from the economy crumbling and they saw their dreams shattered and and debt being straddled on them and so they're just inherently afraid of of failure. They're afraid to fail, and it's not just them; it's all of us, right? It's, it's all of us, we have this fear of trying something and being found out a failure. And so a lot of times what we'll do is we just won't try. We won't, we won't risk anything. And so because of that, we, we live lives that are less, less than what we're called to live. We're, we're aiming low so that at least we can succeed in that. And we're selling ourselves short is what's happening. And we're finding ourselves stuck in, in jobs that, that maybe we, we don't like, that we find no fulfillment in, but it's safe. We find ourselves in maybe careers or maybe relationships that aren't healthy, but it's safe, it's what we know. And we find ourselves continually building this small, small fortress around us to protect us from failure because we're just terrified to fail. But that's not how this kingdom thing works. This this fear of failure is, is, a, is a fear of taking risks, of living a life that's risky, a life that's full of adventure, that's gonna take courage, that's gonna take a lot of guts. It's gonna take being comfortable with danger, of putting ourselves in precarious positions. It's, It's that life that every time I read the scriptures, I just continue to be surprised at how little God worries about our safety and comfort. He just, he doesn't care as much about it as we do. And he loves us, but he's not really worried about our, our safety, about our comfort and and as i read this i can't help but but then examine my life and and look at the things that i've built in order to keep me safe and to keep me comfortable and as i'm thinking about this i mean can we imagine a more anti-biblical culture than the culture that we find ourselves in today i'm not talking because of sex and Pornography and drugs and and crime and murder, that stuff's been going on forever. But there is this extreme idolatry towards being safe, comfortable, and living a life of leisure. That's the complete opposite of this. And for the first time potentially in history, the, the needs and the safety, the comfort the leisure of the individual are elevated beyond anything else. And we find ourselves in an interesting time and place. We we find ourselves saturated in a culture that is so anti-Christ and not in the way you think. I mean, not in the way that that we picture this anti-Christ thing. I mean, there's, there's plenty of people around the world that are suffering that kind of persecution that we go to where, you know, people are shot for their faith. But for us here, it's a different Antichrist than what we have pictured or maybe the movies that we've seen because we worship the God of comfort, the God of safety, the God of leisure. And I haven't found him in here. It's just not in here. He's good, but he's not safe. That's what C.S. Lewis tells us. God is very, very good. He's better than we can imagine, but he's not safe. And if I think about like, like the biblical heroes, like last week we talked about Moses, Moses the murderer. You think about like Abraham, Abraham the adulterer, the one who abandoned his illegitimate kid who was a coward and gave his wife to the king so that he could save his skin. Think about David, the guy who had an adulterous affair, had a kid with the woman, and then murdered the husband. I mean, those are big deals. And I think that today, if, you know, if like megachurch pastors did these things, that would be Uh, a moral failure and they would be X'd out of their ministry capacities. But what's interesting is that God didn't seem to view it that way. And yes, they did stupid things, terrible, evil things, but God still used them. I mean, it's almost as though that like in Christ, we can't fail and you can't thwart God's plans, even even murdering, which I, I wouldn't advise. To anyone here, but I just, I'm struck by, I mean, these are the heroes of the faith, the pillars, you know, the hall of faith that's talked about in Hebrews. I mean, these men did terribly wicked things, and somehow, it wasn't about what they did, which sounds like the gospel that we've heard so much, it's not about what you do. It's about what Christ has done. Doesn't that sound like that? And so it's almost as though that in Christ, there's really no way that we can fail. And failure is just sort of a foreign term. And as I was thinking and studying about this, honestly, I found that the only way that we can fail is to do nothing. The only thing that God considers to be a failure is, is to not do anything at all. Jesus tells this story and he's talking to the disciples and he's telling them what the kingdom of God is like. And I, I didn't put the scriptures on the slides because I, I wanted you to see it in your Bibles and in your maybe your phones. We're on this U version thing. You can follow along with that. Uh, but there's Bibles in front of you. If you don't have that, you can take, you can keep that. If you don't have a Bible, feel free to keep those. But I, I wanted you to just to see it, maybe underline it. Maybe crease the page and come back to it so you know that I'm not making this up. Because hopefully you're checking the things we put up here, right? The scriptures we put up here. Hopefully you're making sure they're really in there. But in, uh, in Matthew 25, 14 is where I'm going. Jesus is, is, ter- is telling the disciples, hey, this is what the kingdom of God is like. This is what it's like to be a part of this kingdom. And he tells a story. We're reading, we're picking up at verse 14. And he says, For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each one according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. who had received the one talent, came forward and said, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown, and I gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with bankers, and at my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to the one who has 10, for to everyone who has, more will be given and he will have with abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away and cast this worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Hey, let's pray. Jesus, would you help us today? Would you help us to receive your words? Would you give us ears to hear what you have to say and hearts to receive? Holy Spirit, would you come? Would you do what only you can do? Would you begin to speak to us through your word? It's in your name we pray, Jesus, amen. So did you see it? Sometimes we dumb this down to money. It's about more than money. Don't dumb it down to money. This is, this is our lives. I mean what he's saying is that is that each one has been given their life to his ability. So we remove comparison from the equation, right? Like we take that out. Cuz it's not about us living a life of someone else. He's saying he's giving us this life. How are we going to spend it? How are we going to invest it? How are we going to use it? And we see a picture. Those that invested, that spent it, they re- they received a return and they were rewarded and, and they were invited to come enjoy things for a while. And they made him ruler over many things. And then the one that didn't spend it, who hid it in safety, that didn't turn out so well for him. And it's it's easy to gloss over these things and to think, well, that's just about, I don't know, I don't really know how you gloss over this one to be honest with you. This is the one that sort of like kept me up at night because we're the one with one talent. I mean, that's me. I have what I've been given and I am not using it. I'm not spending my life, I'm not investing what I've been given, this life, here, now, for him. Now, this, the master knew that because they were investing, that they could have lost it. Like the one that invested all of the five talents, like every one of them, he put every one of them to work and invested in them. Just, I mean, he could have lost that, right? That's what happens when you invest money. He could have lost it. And the master never even mentioned that. Like he never even said, you know, I mean, next time you need to learn how to hedge Let's take three, put it in the bank, collect interest. And with those two, let's let those two begin to accrue. And that way, you you, you can still keep some. I mean, that's wise. But he he didn't mention that. He didn't care that they risked everything. What he cared more about was the one that risked nothing. Now, he didn't lose it. He didn't... He didn't do anything really that dumb with it. He didn't spend it on something. Uh, He didn't throw a big party. I feel like if I would have written this parable, that would have been like the difference. there was some that invested it and then some that just spent it went crazy. And see the difference, see one's good, one's bad. I would have written that that way. That's not how the Holy Spirit chose to write this, that's not how Jesus chose to say it, because what he didn't want this to become about was one person was good and another person was bad. He just doesn't care that much. But what he does care about is that one person tried with what they had, and one person didn't try. And it's interesting that I mean the guy is saying, you know, I knew you were hard, you're a hard man, and and you're, you, know, you reap or you don't sow, and, and, which means that he's like taking from other people's. And the master didn't correct him. That's scary, right? Because in, in this story, in this context, the master represents the father. And again, if I'm writing this, I would want the father to go, you don't even know me. Come on, man. We're friends. I love you. But he didn't, he didn't bother correcting him. He was like, yeah, you're right because he's God and God can do whatever he wants to do and we don't get to tell him how that looks. I mean, that's the story that Jesus said, this is what the kingdom of God is like. This is what your life is like. And because of a fear of failure, a fear of, of danger, maybe a fear of risk, we're the one that buries the talents, I mean, we're the one that, that doesn't do anything with what we have. And the problem is, is that you would think that the one that had five, like there would be some sort of sliding scale because the one that had five was the one that risked the most. But it's not even like he was like, man, I can't believe you put all five of that in there. Awesome. It was just what was expected. Because like there's another scripture, that, to whom much is given, much is required. And I hate to say it, but if you're sitting here, you've been given a lot. I mean, from a, from a historical, a global perspective, you've been given a lot thousands and thousands of hours of incredible biblical teaching is at our fingertips through our smartphones. That's a lot. We're, we're in a time where incredible technological advances have made it easier than ever to traverse the globe. It's a lot. We in the West have the, the most amount of wealth and the least amount of persecution as any believers that's ever lived since the days of Jesus. That's a lot. I mean, globally, we know these statistics, probably. Globally, like, if you're here, you're wealthy. And I don't really care if you have only $2. You're still wealthy. Because something like a billion people live on less than a dollar a day. Much will be required from us. And that's scary. It's neat, and God is great. And thank God for Jesus. And we're not talking necessarily about salvation, so I'm not trying to make you afraid that you're not a Christian if you're here. But I am saying, have you counted the cost? Like Jesus tells us to count the cost before we build a tower. And I feel like we're building towers and we haven't checked our bank accounts because we're so afraid of failure, of being uncomfortable, of being uneasy. See, we're not saved by works, right? You know that? So I'm not saying that like you get to come into the heaven by doing stuff, or you get to be a child of God by doing stuff. We covered that, right? The murderers and all those people, apparently they're in the Hall of Fame of Faith. Now, I've never murdered anyone. So hopefully I'll be in the Hall of Fame somewhere. But what they did do is they did stuff, they risked stuff. They were obedient. When he told them to do something, I mean, it may have taken them a minute, but they did it. Which by the way, is what he requires, obedience, not sacrifice. So I'm not asking you to write a big check. I'm asking you to listen to what he tells you or even ask what he wants. And so we're not we're not getting into this kingdom thing by what we do. But James says this terrifying thing that our faith that doesn't have any works associated with it is dead. Like it's dead. Because faith takes exercising. And if there's no if there's nothing that we can point to then it could be dead. And as I was preparing for this today, this idea of fear of failure and, and all of this sort of stuff, I mean, it's such a lie. Like, it's such a lie. And I want to set that scarecrow on fire. Because I think what's happened is that we forgot that this is something worth dying for. Like, dying for it. And I, I feel like a lot of times, like for me, like I run around... And I don't have anything in my life that's, that I, I feel like is worth dying for. And this is it. This is worth dying for. And we've come to a point in our culture, in our society, that we've mixed culture and faith. Our economic theories and our holy texts, like we've combined those two. We've pushed them together and we've produced something that has a form of godliness but no power. We've put the cultural and economic measures of success onto our faith and have wrongly assumed that they go together and they don't. Success, whatever that means, doesn't necessarily mean success in the kingdom. Being being wealthy doesn't necessarily mean you made it. It's not bad, it's just not a measure of success in the kingdom. It, it doesn't work. We're, we're, we're using like inches when we should be using degrees. But we're using the wrong metrics. And Jesus talks about this over and over and over and over again. And all of these fears sort of like accumulate into the same thing of like, hey, yeah, you want to find life, you want to have life, you have to lose it. You have to lose your life. Like literally lose your life. I was reading a, uh, in like some research in a story. There's this uh, story of, and I'm not sure if it's true or not, but it sounds cool. Uh, this guy named Thomas Aquinas, and he was, he was just like a father of the faith the 12th century, 13th century and he's walking along with one of his Paris priests that, that are there, and the, and the priest draws Thomas' attention to this giant, unbelievable cathedral and referencing uh, Acts, um, where uh, I think it's Peter and John uh, are walking to the gate, and referencing that story of where they healed uh, the crippled man. Like, uh, he, says, he says, you know, look at that, Thomas. Wow, we can no longer say silver and gold, have we none? And uh, Thomas's reply was filled with remorse, it says. And also referencing that story, it says, neither can we say in the name of Jesus of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Because we've sacrificed the anointing, the call, whatever, with the comfort, with the stuff. And we've, we've created a form of godliness without power. Fear of failure leads to a life obsessed with comfort, obsessed with safety, consumed. And we live lives way below what we're called to live. There's another story in the Gospels. Uh, This is in uh, Mark 10, verse 17. And again, don't dumb this down to money, okay? We'll read it. I'll let you get there. You may say something about the rich And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said, you lack one thing, go and sell all that you have and give it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. You notice this guy didn't murder anyone. He didn't commit adultery. He was a pretty good dude. It didn't matter. If, if this is about a relationship with Jesus and Jesus is telling you to do something, it doesn't really matter all of the good things you've done if you're disobedient in the thing that he's telling you to do. Jesus interacts with rich people all the time in the gospels. This is the only time he told him to sell everything he had. So this isn't a story about if you're rich, give all your money away. This is a story about if you have a lot, you have a lot to lose. And if you have a lot to lose, it's going to be very difficult to give your wife away for the gospel. And Jesus looked at him and he was very sad. He loved him, he wasn't condemning him. And he said, this guy has a lot to lose. And what he called him to do was to give it away. I don't know why but that's what he called him to do, and he couldn't. We, we have a lot to lose, and we have a lot to lose. And the thought of losing it is terrifying. And i found as like the older I get, the more I accumulate stuff, the more responsibilities I accumulate, the more family members I accumulate, I have a lot to lose. I have a lot more to lose now than I had 15 years ago. But you know, 15 years ago, I felt like I had a lot to lose. And 20 years ago, because we do. We have a lot to lose. And Jesus is looking at us and he's saying, are you willing to put it all on the line? Like, are you willing to spend your entire life, everything you have for the gospel, for the kingdom? Or will failure, or a fear of death, or a fear of poverty, or a fear of whatever, humiliation, will that keep you from from spending it, are you going to bury it? These are the kind of verses that keep me up at night. Because I love being comfortable. I'm very good at being comfortable. I mean really good. I would make a great billionaire. <laughs> I would be so good at it. You know we were doing the lottery game and you know it was like 1.6 billion. It's really fascinating to me like at what point I'm like, yeah, I'll buy a ticket. Like for some reason 500 million is not enough for me to spend $3 on a ticket, but 1.6 billion, I went to the gas station and I had never bought a lottery ticket before. And I was like, I like a lottery ticket. Apparently there are hundreds of different kinds of lottery tickets. So I was there for a while trying to figure it out. But, you know, where everyone's thinking about it, and we're all, I mean, I don't know if you were talking, we were all ta- everybody was talking about, what would you do? Could you imagine? And literally people, I met people and they are like, oh, I wouldn't want it. And I was like, are you kidding me? <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, I would, I wanted it. All of it. The 1.6. I was trying to figure out tax evasion. Like, how could I get away with not having that? And I would have been awesome. And, you know, it's funny, my my wife, Sarah, she didn't want anybody to know. And I was like, oh, I want everybody to know that I won this. And that was weird for her. But I wanted everyone to know that I'm a billionaire now. A billionaire. Because I would be really good at it. So this isn't a message of, like, me saying, oh, you guys should be like me. This is me saying... I've been doing some thinking and reflecting and I have lost some sleep because I love being comfortable. I love wealth. I love what money gets me. I love safety, security. I've designed my life around it. Like, I mean, everything I do is with that in mind. How do I stay safe and and secure? I just don't see it in here. And that bothers me. Because what does that mean? And this is a heavy message as we're approaching the holidays and and everyone's thinking of fun stuff. But, you know, selfishly, according to this, I'm going to be held at a bit of a higher standard. So now I at least can say I I said something. So this is a very self-centered message. But have you ever thought about it? I mean, have you ever taken an inventory and we're not going to raise hands and this isn't, this isn't condemnation. Like, there's no condemnation in this. This isn't guilty to get you to sign up for whatever. I don't even have like a follow-up on this. I'm not trying to get you to sign up for the kids department by this message, but my wife would love it if you did. <laughs> but that's not the point of what we're doing here. The point is to say, have you ever taken an inventory? Like, when is the last time we'll start We'll start big. When is the last time you you shared your faith and someone came to Christ? Has it been more than a week? And what does that mean? Like, these are questions that we have to ask. Otherwise, we're playing religion. We're just playing. And I found myself, like, I found myself playing church a little bit. And I just, I just don't wanna do that because that's just, it's not gonna end well. According to these parables, it doesn't end well. And so it's just something I've been asking myself. It's something that I've been reflecting on. Honestly, it was what like, propelled me into like, getting into the ministry. Was I, I kept reading the, the book, the Bible, and, I, and it kept looking way different than my life. And I just kept saying, one of these has got to change. I just couldn't, I couldn't figure it out. And even all of the different versions, they all kind of said the same thing. I would check them out and be like, surely it doesn't really say that. That's just King James. He was a bit harsh. He was a harsh king. But it, it said it. And I just kept saying, I've got, I've, just, I've got to do something. I've got to do something with this. I can't, I can't just keep this A to myself, but I just, everything I see in here, the, the picture of a believer looks different than the picture of me. And that didn't really mean that I didn't sin as much, although that happens. But I started out thinking that was the point, and then I just kept thinking, it's not the point. Sin management doesn't seem to be the point of the scriptures. It just does, I don't think he cares as much about it as we do, as we do. And we feel guilty about it, and we wanna do something about that. And we say all the time that you should be killing sin, so please don't take this away from this, that you have a license to sin, you don't, stop it. But you know, it says that the gates of hell won't prevail, which means our job is to rush those gates. And it says that it won't prevail. And we sit around a lot of time waiting for him to come to us. And it's hard to rush the gates of hell when we're so worried about our comfort. I might say it's impossible. Maybe even as impossible as a camel going through the eye of a needle. That impossible. That's what Jesus says later about that rich young roller. It's just you can't do it. So, this isn't a message of condemnation. This is a message to say, what are we doing? Like, what are you do- what, are we- what am I doing? Sundays are not enough. I mean, even coming here and doing this isn't enough. As much as I'd love it to say that you should go to church on Sunday and uh, and like every Sunday, so we can have a lot of attendance. It doesn't specifically say that. That seems to be a natural outflow. So don't miss church either. Stop sinning and come to church. I'm for those things. But you know, I look at the lives of the of the apostles, of the heroes of the New Testament. You know, they all they all died pretty terrible deaths. I mean, except John. We, we somehow we think John just rode off into the sun- sunset. I mean, he died stranded on an island, and I guess compared to being crucified upside down, that seems awesome, but they all died terrible deaths. And I worry about, well, I can't go to the soccer game if I go to that thing. You know what I mean? Like, you, you know the difference? I just don't see that in my life where I, it just doesn't, it just, it's not there. And we see Jesus, and we're we're supposed to at least be like the master, the one that went to the cross. And I I can't tell you how many times I repented this week of ever saying, I guess that's just my cross to bear. Like, really? There's a lot of people in the world, we talked about them today, that don't know the peace that we have. That haven't experienced this savior that we have. That 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 don't understand that, that there's a God that doesn't require them to do anything, that just accepts them and loves them. And the question that I'm asking myself is like, what am I doing about it? And the answer is not much. Not a lot. But, but the gospel that I read, the one in, in the book, seems to talk about us like bidding ourselves to die, like like we're we're just on our way to die. For for God, it's a vapor. The life is a vapor, and the question is, how am I spending it? In Revelations uh, three fourteen, so you can go there as well. If your Bible looks like my Bible. It'll say, like, to the church in Laodicea. But I did some research uh, on this. Apparently Nashville wasn't around yet when this was written. And this was a letter from Jesus to the church in Laodicea. But you can just put Nashville there, to the church in Nashville. Or if you're from somewhere else, to wherever you're from. I think it would apply. Or you could say, hey, to the church that meets in Grant Pemberton's house, called his family. And it says, and to the angel of the Lord in Laodicea write, the words of the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. This is Jesus speaking. He says, I know your works. You are neither hot nor cold. Would that you are either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. Who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne. As I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Just in case you're wondering, like this settles the issue. There's no such thing as a lukewarm Christian. Doesn't exist. You're spit out of the mouth. Doesn't sound good. And a radical Christian life is actually the normal Christian life. And whatever you think about as, like, this is radical, like, probably multiply it a couple times. And that's biblical Christianity. That's the life of the believer. And the question is, is that, have we thought about it? And what he says is, again, it's not condemning. He's saying, listen, I'm telling you this because I love you. I'm telling you this because I want you to change. I'm knocking, I'm knocking, I'm knocking, I'm knocking. Will you let me in? You don't have to do anything, just open the door. That's what he's saying. It's not, you have to do anything. But through the relationship with Jesus, he's gonna tell you to do stuff and you're gonna need to be obedient. That's just how it works. And he's giving us a chance, because somehow, for some reason, you're here today. Some of you I know, some of you I don't. But when you come to the faith, coincidence goes out the window. No such thing as coincidence anymore. So you're here on purpose for a reason. If you're a believer, you've been made righteous, And the scripture says that your steps are now ordered. So he ordered your steps here for a reason. And it's gotta be to just sit here and think about it for a minute on what are we doing with this? I mean, when I think about like, like, and by the way, professional Christian here, right? So I'm, I'm, I'm putting my standards up there a little bit more, right? I'm professional Christian. Only for a month. It's only been for a month that I've been a professional Christian. But I'm saying, like, if I put those things in me and if I say, I mean, when's the last time I led someone to the Lord? When's the last time I spent, I sacrificed money? I sacrificed time to disciple someone, to be discipled, to be under someone. I mean, when is the last time I've done those things? If I put those things on me, it's pitiful. It's pitiful. And then if I look at the people I read about, I mean, it's crazy. And I'm hoping that whenever I, I get in line to get into heaven or eternity, that I'm behind some seriously terrible people. So that maybe I could say, I know, but come on, I didn't do that. Because right now, I just, I don't see a lot of evidence that I believe this stuff. You know, we believe John 3.16, for those that believe, but we don't believe John 14, where he talks about we'll do even greater works than these, and like, we, it's the same words. He's using the same words. We need, we need to get some salve and, and put it on our eyes and get the Holy Spirit to say, here's what obedience looks like. Here's what life looks like. Here's what I'm asking you to do. And chances are, if you're listening to this online later or now, I mean, some of us are probably gonna be asked to give our lives, like not in a metaphorical sense, like legitimately give our lives for the sake of the gospel like a a really kitschy saying is that the seed of the gospel is spread by the blood of the martyrs, and the question is, is there a drought currently? We've got a lot of potential martyrs that are nowhere close. And I'm not saying that he's asking you to give everything away, he might be, you should ask him. And I'm not saying that he's asking you to go to Afghanistan where you could be killed for proselytizing, but he might. And, and I'm, I'm not saying that he's asking you to just like, I don't know, turn your life upside down and live completely sold out for him. No, wait, he is asking you to do that one, for sure. It's not an add-on. This faith thing, this Jesus thing, we can't just add it on to our lives. can't. And for some of us, like we're looking for things to die for. Like this is like setting us on fire on the inside and we're like, I'm ready to go, let's go. And some of us, we're gonna count the cost. I may not find it worthy, but I just want you to know what you're getting yourself into. If you really try to follow Jesus, if you really try to hear from him, if you really want to, to go where he's going, he's gonna lead you into some very dangerous, very uncomfortable places. There's this, you ever heard the safest place you can ever be is in the center of the will of God? That's a lie. That's a dangerous place to be. Read Fox's Book of Martyrs, but it's a great place to be. It's a wonderful place to be. And if you get in a place where you're extremely uncomfortable, you're in luck. He sent the comforter. That's what he's for. And as we're moving forward, like things are changing in the church and, and, and we're growing and it's neat and the Lord is doing awesome things. And you know, we had this incredible time of ministry a couple weeks ago, where we were here till two uh, in the afternoon, and just like things were just going awesome. But I mean, quite frankly, like if if you know prayer and and laying on the altar and all of those awesome things don't result in changed lives, then let's just do something else. Like, it has to result in changed lives that look like Jesus, that look like Stephen. You remember Stephen, Acts 7? First one to ever die for Jesus. What an honor. I mean, like, can you think, that's an honor? To go down in history as the first one to die for Jesus. And he's preaching the gospel. And everyone around him is like screaming and they're yelling at him and and they're picking up these rocks because they're really cowards. Because the reason they stone people is so no one could pin the murder on them. And so all these people are picking up these rocks and they're screaming at him and they start pelting him with these stones. And the story is, is that he's just like enraptured. His face glows because he sees Jesus. And the clouds part, and he has a vision of his Lord and Savior, the one that he is so happy to die for. And basically, he says, bring it on. And then he says, and this is where I just have a terribly hard time. He says, hey, Father, would you forgive them? They don't even get it yet. And in that crowd was Paul. And he was holding the coats of the murderers. He got to see firsthand what he was about to get into. I mean, that's it. That's our model for success. Stephen. And if it's just me and you and we're talking, honestly, I'd take a church with 20 Stevens over 1,000 rich young rulers any day of the week because it's the Stevens that changed the world that set it on fire and turned it upside down. And I think that's what we're here to do as well. So we're gonna reflect, worship, and the question is, where do we need to change? Where do we need to die? Maybe it's metaphorical, maybe it's literal. Maybe you've had this thought, of Afghanistan, it just hasn't left your brain and you stuff it down because that's crazy, but maybe he's calling you. Or maybe it's just to your neighbor across the street and and your pride is supposed to die. We're all called. And if you're not a part of the faith yet, this is what you're signing up for. So if you're interested, we can talk about it and say this is what life should look like and we'll count the cost together, but he's worth it. Very, very worth it. So we're going to stand, we're going to worship and in this time of worship, here's the deal. There's no no next steps other than can we just think about this for a minute And and then ask the Lord, what do you want me to do with this? That's scary. And I hope a year from now, there will be some empty pews because he's called you to go somewhere. And I hope a year from now, we're gonna be like, man, can you believe it? Because if you ask him, he'll let you know. So we're gonna stand, you can stand. We're going we're gonna to worship, and the, and the point of worship right now is just, Lord, what needs to change? What needs to change? It's not if something needs to change, it's what needs to change. I know that for me. And just let him put, put his finger on a couple places, and then repent, and then count the cost. Don't try to impress him with sacrifice. It's not what he's after. He just wants you to trust him and be obedient. Holy Spirit, we thank you. We welcome you. We ask that you have your way. Lord, would you you put your salve on our eyes so that we can see what our life is supposed to look like? Where are we not trusting you? Where are we worried about failure more than obedience? Where are you calling us to that we're not going? Who are you calling us to that we're not going to? Would you just begin to speak? The Lord is commissioning right now. The Lord is calling. And it's not out of a place of condemnation, he's so good. He's so kind. Come Holy Spirit. For all upcoming events, for more information about the Nashville Vineyard Church, please check us out at www.nationalvineyard.org.
1: Thank you again for listening, and we hope you have a great day.